Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to the Muslim Matters Podcast, where we discuss everything under the sun that affects Muslims, such as faith, local and global politics, social media, sex education, civil rights, and family matters, all coming from a traditional Orthodox perspective. Subscribe to our podcast and follow us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on our handle, Muslim Matters. And check out our site daily at muslimmatters.org. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, and welcome to the Muslim Matters Podcast. I am your host, Zainab bint Yunus, and today I am joined by my co-hosts, Irtiza Hassan and Siraj Muhammad. The 7.8 magnitude earthquake that hit Turkey and Syria on February 6, 2023, took almost 50,000 lives, displaced at least 2.4 million individuals, and completely destroyed entire infrastructures. Today, February 20th, yet another earthquake hit this time at a 6.3 magnitude, impacting the already devastated areas. The reactions to the earthquakes across the world, and especially for Muslims, have been overwhelming. On one hand, alhamdulillah, there has been an outpouring of donations, aid, even volunteers flying across the world to help. But on the other hand, there has been a great sense of emotional difficulty, survivor's guilt, and even spiritual crisis in response to the footage and news coming out of those areas. And we pray that, inshallah, this episode today will be a way for us to collectively process the emotional heaviness of this topic and cover, you know, really difficult things such as, you know, how do we talk to our kids about this? Um, do we share images and footage from the earthquake or not? Um, how, what can we do? Uh, how can we personally handle the, the feelings of helplessness that accompany the ongoing flood of information that's coming out of those areas. Brother Irtiza, please start us off. No, uh, Sister Zainab, I totally agree uh, with your intro. And, uh, you know, I myself just talking to brothers, not just in the in the community and talking to friends around the U.S. and Canada and also some who are living overseas, um, some who recently traveled to Turkey or were literally en route, whether for vacation or other reasons, there's just such a variety and range of emotions people are having right now. I mean, on one hand, and you can expect this when a tragedy hits, there's a, a strong, strong sense of love and brotherhood for people in Turkey and Syria. And, and of course, there were aftershocks even in Lebanon and, and Palestine as well, but especially Turkey and Syria. And there's so much care and, and consideration. Um, I'll tell you on a, on a small note, you know, every year with Ramadan coming up, Ramadan tends to be a time a lot of people will prioritize zakat and, and, and then general sadaqah as well. And sometimes the discussions come up about whether you should prioritize giving locally in, in the U.S. Or, or Canada, or some people like to send money overseas to home countries, especially if they're from the immigrant community. And this year, there's no such thing. I've seen so many uh, messages that, you know, we're all in this year. And we're going to prioritize Turkey and Syria, or we're going to prioritize other regions that have been hit. But at the same time, sister, there's been an incredible amount of feeling of hopelessness and sadness, uh, even devastation. You know, you never give up hope in Allah SWT and, and uh, you know, as a believer, thinking that good times are going to come. But I think the second earthquake where we got the news just this morning or within the last 24 hours, um, it's really kind of taken the wind out from a lot of people where people are just feeling so hopeless and even, you know, subhanAllah, uh, kind of how how could this happen and why did this happen? So definitely a lot to process at the moment. I think one recurring issue that's coming up in debates and discussions about the earthquake and the footage that's coming out of there is, should we be sharing the graphic images and the graphic videos, whether it's of the destruction, whether it's of rescues, whether it's of literally like the the dead bodies that are pulled out and the fact that they had to pray, you know, mass genezas over bodies, um, whether we should do that or not. Uh, I'm sure you can like speak a bit more to this as well in terms of people feeling like this is really uh, shaking their iman. And on the other side, you actually have people from those areas being like, no, share this footage because we need people to see what's going on. What are your thoughts on this? You know, and I, I, I totally understand that. I think this is a great question where there's a balancing act where, you know, we can check in with our, our friends and experts in our communities who have the backgrounds in therapy and counseling versus the activists and, and imams community, because sometimes you'll have conflicting messages, which which are both coming from a good place, where one side is saying, look, spread these images, show people what's really happening, uh, let people really process and understand that there's people that have lost their lives, and that could bring more awareness, it could bring more support. 
But on the other end, you have realities where these images, just by watching these images, which not not everybody's going to process the same or digest in the same way, it is also a type of trauma. It's also a type of exposure to things that you know could cause PTSD. Uh, they could cause uh, several issues. So I, I really think this is where we all have to lean on on multiple people in our community, one being those experts, those therapists, those psychiatrists, people who specialize in mental health and emotional health. But then also, you know, there are voices from our, and equally important, our imams and activists, the people who are on the ground who are going to say, look, it's just not going to have the same impact if people don't, you know, seeing is believing and that, and that, and there is truth to that. So I personally will tell you, I, and I, you know, have no shame in admitting this, I don't look at the images. I, I, I'm personally not able to to really handle looking at them. I do. I, frankly, I get overwhelmed just by reading about the news, and I, I believe it when I read it. It's widely reported. I, I really don't need to see the images to uh, support or bring awareness or do any more. I, I, having said that, I do respect people who who choose to see them or they 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 want to see for themselves or they want to process it, but. For myself, I, I personally don't see them, and I, I certainly would not share them with uh, with my children or, or, or minors while they're young and could really be harmful for them or difficult for them to process. Yeah, I definitely agree with that too, Artiza. I think that there's a lot of conflicting messages as well regarding what we should and shouldn't show, and there are good reasons both ways. I think with respect to children, it's important that we still have some level of age-appropriate discussions with our kids, Um, not necessarily showing them the images, obviously, but letting them know that these types of tragedies are occurring, that these are the different types of trials that we're going to be having in life, and not really just bubbling them off and making them completely, uh, I would say, hidden from these problems. Uh, One fear I have personally is that if we don't develop their ability, we don't we don't provide some level of inoculation from some of these problems that are out there. Over time, we start to see what we're seeing now on the internet where people grow up into full adults and they've never seen this type of difficulty. They look at tragedy and they look at hardship as a type of test of faith. And it lends credence to the arguments that are already prevalent, let's say in academia and on the internet towards theodicy, which allows or which contends that, you know, if, if God is so good, then why is there so much tragedy? And I think part of what we will need to do with our children is have, like I said, age-appropriate conversations and expose them in some level, um, but certainly not the images. Uh, With respect to generally with other adults, with people who we could do fundraising with, I guess that's a judgment call as well. It it really depends on whether or not we think that this is going to be something that will challenge people's iman, or if we think it's going to be something where um, it'll, it'll spur and catalyze action. I prefer to be cautious. I I do recognize the idea that I mentioned earlier that we're in a place where people are really not able to handle this. I think we have a scholar who actually said, you know, people are not really able to handle this and it's challenging their faith. We should certainly have a, a longer conversation about how we begin to prepare Muslims in general for all types of trials. I think one of the messages we have taught ourselves and taught our kids and our families have taught us is that simply if you do good, you'll get good. If you do bad, you'll get bad. And the reality is, is within our faith, there's plenty of discussion of, well, if you do good, if you're a proper believer, just like the Prophet this life is a test and you're going to see tests and you're going to see good. So there's going to be difficulty and there's going to be ease. There's not going to be both. And bringing that discussion And then using that discussion in different situations and scenarios, I think is key so that we can, if we do have to come to this point where we do share those types of images, or we do share these types of discussions, people will be able to process it better, and they'll have a proper theological foundation to contend with it within themselves, and then say, yes, this is a trial from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and even I am going through trials, even if I'm living in privilege, my privilege itself is a trial. What they're going through is a trial. They have, of course, a more serious trial. And this is part of life, and it's a short part of life. And eventually, inshallah, they will be. we will see them in paradise if they have passed away. And if they have not, if they're struggling, we will. this will be a trial on us to stand up and support them and to galvanize support from others. And inshallah, that's how I think it might be a, a healthy way to go about addressing it. 
So I actually have very strong feelings on this because I feel that there is the sense of oversensitivity in a lot of ways. And I truly feel that we are caught up in a very Western bubble that pushes the idea that we should always be comfortable. We should never experience hardship. We shouldn't be exposed to hardship. Um, We shouldn't witness these things or be made to witness them. And that actually has very damaging consequences on us as humans, I believe. And I'm sure uh, there's probably literature to, to back this up in some sense. It's related to a lack of empathy. Um, but then on the flip side, I do understand that there is also the concern about desensitization through an overflow of constant information, especially on social media. And then you have the the issue of people just don't care in, anymore because it's all just, you know, what they call trauma porn. Um, and people are just like, eh, whatever. So that is a difficult uh, issue to contend with. But I would say that as Raj also mentioned, you know, we have to be able to expose our kids to some level of reality checking. And it's really important that we do so uh, because it will and it does often lead to these situations of, you know, special spiritual crises and questioning like, oh, if God exists, then why do bad things happen? And mashallah, Sheikh Mohammed Shinawi has a really great article on that that I'll quote from in a little bit. Um, but I do want to touch on the point that very up until very recently it was universally understood that difficulty hardship tragedy this is all part of life and people accepted this and it didn't challenge their faith but in fact for many people it strengthened their faith then there's sorry go ahead sister as you get into this topic it's um you know there's there's so much to unpack around this obviously our primary concern right now is the devastation the loss of life loss of homes i mean you're looking at the number now approaching 50,000 uh, deaths, most of those in Turkey, of course, and then significant number in Syria. And But the, these sort of things also have, for us as Muslims who are believers, they have theological implications. I, I know I've read from some of our scholars, from some of the ulama, that one of the rising, uh, or one of the primary reasons, not the only reason, but one of the primary factors that pushes people to atheism and agnosticism tends to be the struggle with how would a benevolent and merciful God let things like this happen? How do uh, natural disasters hit where, you know, children and women and elderly people who are completely helpless are dying. And, um, you know, I know for some people who are, are from the religious community, or maybe they're, they're from a traditional conservative community, these answers can be very clear. And, Maybe it's something many people have never struggled with because they're like, you know, we were trained from a young age that, hey, these things are going to happen and uh, it's Allah's will and it's a test and they'll take stories from the Quran or stories of the past and and they'll move on quickly. I mean, not to say they would not be sad, but they'll they'll move on quickly. But for some people, it hits different. And um, and I personally know, even in my community living in Houston, Texas, that uh, parents will tell me that they have teenage children or they have uh uh, someone will say their spouse or even even an adult is really really struggling with you know the the why did this happen how do we understand it uh, how is this fair and, and it, sometimes those questions put people in a dark place so I really think it's great uh, for you to be able to maybe share some of from Sheikh Shanawi and others or maybe elaborate on how how can we uh, talk to our brothers and sisters who are going through those sort of pain and confusion. So just so everybody uh, knows where to find uh, Chef Mohammed Shanawi's piece, it's on Yaqeen Institute and uh, on their website, and it's titled, Why Do People Suffer? God's Existence and the Problem of Evil. So it's actually quite a long paper, and I won't go deeply into it, but there's some really great, a couple really great quotes, and then some basic points um, that I've summarized here. So the first quote that I want to share, I found very powerful, uh, and he's talking about how different people throughout time have discussed the question of evil. You have uh, Christians who discussed it. You have obviously agnostics and atheists, uh, philosophers who've discussed it. And he says, the Sunni mind, which embraced revelation fully, had no difficulty seeing divine wisdom as weaving the threads of pain and suffering into a brilliant story, a story that harmonizes mercy and justice, a story that derives happy endings from pain, a story that sees that immovable boulder as a building block for one's spiritual ascent. So he mentions this towards the beginning of the paper, which I thought was really beautiful, laying that foundation that as 
Sunni Muslims, we have a much larger, much broader, much deeper understanding uh, and conceptualization and foundation of this entire discussion because a lot of the way that this discussion is had, the parameters of it are set by often atheists who don't take into consideration or even fathom certain ideas, like, for example, the nature of God. Uh, And I would highly, highly recommend parents, uh, all adults, to read this paper because it lays that foundation really well in in detail. Some points that he brings up is that this entire, again, the, the question of how can God exist or a merciful God exist when there's evil in the world, it's tied to a number of different issues. So one of them is tied to a sense of purposelessness in life and this idea that we don't necessarily have a purpose in life. We just need to enjoy quality of life. And anything that challenges that is problematic. And I think that's very tied into what I had mentioned about, you know, we come from a very Western bubble of life should be comfortable. I should be able to enjoy myself. Anything that disrupts that is a problem. Uh, he talks about, you know, extreme sensitivity because of first world luxuries. And I absolutely agree with that as well. Like we have... Alhamdulillah, so many blessings by being able to live in, quote unquote, the first world uh, in luxurious circumstances. But alongside those luxuries and alongside those blessings, unfortunately, very often comes a lack of resilience and a lack of ability to handle difficult situations. And we see this on you know multiple levels, not just in terms of crises and catastrophes and disasters, but literally just everyday struggling to handle things not going our way. Uh, he also brings up that we should be challenging the very question itself. The existence of a merciful creator doesn't mean that evil won't exist in the world and vice versa. And he goes into some uh, detail about that as well. Again, highly recommend people take the time to read through this uh, in detail. He brings up that good outweighs evil in the world. So evil and bad things are actually the exception, not the norm. So when people say, oh, you know, this world is such a terrible place and all this evil is happening, they're actually denying that all the evil that we're talking about is the exception. It's not the norm. So actually, the presence of all this overwhelming good in the world, uh, everyday blessings, you know, the sun shining, the fact that our, our bodies function without us having to uh, manage it directly. These are actually signs of the inherent goodness of our creator and the mercy of our creator. Yeah, I'll just I'll just add on top of that very quickly that I think Sheikh Hashanoe, uh really does a good job of highlighting that it's really a matter of our focus. So in this part that uh, Zainab was highlighting, he was hi- he was speaking specifically about atheists when they make these arguments and they say that, well, there's so much evil in the world. But the reality is that your mind is focused on all the different areas that there are evil and you can list them off. And then you can even go to the human being. You can list all the sicknesses a particular individual is suffering through. You may go and say, look at these children who are suffering in the world. And they are suffering. There's no doubt about that. We're not trivializing or minimizing that. But his uh, rebuttal or his response is that, but the vast majority are actually pretty healthy and and doing well. Their bodies are healthy. They're designed healthy. Uh, a lot of people are actually doing quite well on average. Not obviously there there are exceptions, and obviously there are places where this is not true. But when you look through all the different processes that facilitate our life, when you look at our lives themselves, when you look at the amount of as he says sickness versus health in your in your day to day life, you find that the majority of the time, on average, you're actually doing pretty well. And if you focus on those things that you shouldn't take for granted, but we often do, you'll find that there is more mercy and there's more goodness in the world than there is harm and negativity. There's uh, towards the conclusion, he also makes a really great point. So I'm going to read this one quote and then just his final summarized points um, related to this issue of, you know, how do we as Muslims process the existence of all these disasters? So he says, a Muslim, on the other hand, reflects on the universe to find all of it points to God's greatness and wisdom, while being cognizant that a finite creature like the human being can never fully comprehend the greatness of God nor his wisdom. Extending that to the problem of evil, a Muslim's general confidence and trust in God's wisdom is sufficient, even if he or she does not know the details of how this wisdom plays out in this life or the hereafter. Just as a Muslim does not deny God's attributes due to not completely grasping their details, a Muslim consistently treats God's wisdom in the same way. And so all of that can be summarized uh, with these final points, which is that Allah is the most wise. 
Uh, Allah's wisdom necessitates wisdom behind everything that exists. Allah's wisdom necessitates that some evils exist for profound reasons. Allah's wisdom necessitates that for life to qualify as a trial, the reason for every evil cannot be immediately disclosed to those under examination. And finally, that Allah's wisdom necessitates disclosing some of the main reasons behind evil to help brace people as they navigate the hardships of life. And I find that to be a very powerful foundation that we do need to lay down. Like we need to internalize it ourselves, obviously. And once we're able to do that, and once we have that foundation, it will become easier for us to process these situations ourselves individually. And more importantly, lay that foundation for our kids to understand. Because I personally feel as though... Uh, an attitude that is prevalent is that if I don't fully understand it, then it must be wrong. And obviously, that's a very damaging perspective to have, not just in terms of theology, but literally any aspect of life. And we can extend that to secular life as well, whether it's at work or in academia or, again, literally any other uh, element of life. Yeah, you know, I was just thinking myself yesterday, I was sitting with uh, my son, he's eight years old, and we had gone to the masjid. And he said, you know, Dad, I want to go get a little treat, kind of like we get Jumma treats after we get Jumma. Can we get a treat for going to pray Maghrib at the Masjid? I said, sure, no problem. So we went, we got treats, and he said, we get rewarded because we'd worship, right? And I said, yeah, of course we get rewarded, and we can also have things in this life as well. But I want you to keep in mind even now, and, and I'm cognizant of this because this thought keeps going through my head. I want you to know that there are going to be times when even when you do well and you do good, there's going to be difficulty. There are going to be problems. There are going to be trials. There are going to be things you can't explain. There might be problems with your money or your family. There may be problems, you know, with your health. And during that time, you're going to find yourself asking, why did this happen? I've done everything so well. I'm, I'm such a good person. And, I, and then I asked him and I said, why do you think it is? What, what's this life all about at the end of the day? And he looked at me and then he's like, it's a test. I'm like, exactly. It's a test. These are trials. And everyone is going to have their own trials. And so... I think it's important for all of us to realize that each one of us is going to have our tests and our trials in different ways. Everyone will. And just thinking about this whole idea of focus that we mentioned earlier, I was, I was struck by how it's very popular now for people to say, name three things that you're grateful for. And sometimes it's grateful to the universe or just grateful that you can think of. And of course, as Muslims, we think, what, what are we saying? Alhamdulillah, what are we giving shukr for? And what that does is it shifts your focus from the negativity to the things that we may be taking for granted that we're missing. And in switching that focus and thinking about what we have that's going well or thinking about other areas where things are going well, we can begin to appreciate the blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us. And we can also realize that this problem of evil is not as pervasive as we think it is. It's a matter of the types of questions we've asked ourselves and the place we've placed our focus in order to try and address this. If we switch that focus, we're going to see that there's a lot more good in the world than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us many blessings and a lot of his mercy is everywhere for us to take part of. You know, uh, Siraj, I really love you sharing um, that advice and the the conversation with, with your son and I wanted to to use that if I if I may just to to shift gears that with with this situation you know uh, Sister Zainab in the beginning was talking about you know uh, whether we share images or not there's other part is sharing news and trying to get people to support personally one one person I've been following very closely and I, I know all of us have is the updates of Sheikh Yasser Burjas from uh, Valley Ranch Islamic Center and um. He had been detailing. He had he had went out, gone out there with his wife, sister Hiba, and also with uh, one of our other imams, Sheikh Abdullah Uduru, and they went through Islamic relief. And uh, you know they were updating us about the tent cities and some of the masajid there are now acting as shelters and how they they saw damage for hours and hours. You know they they saw damage and then as they drove further into some of the the areas that were struck the damage got worse and the devastation got worse. And um, where this brings me about children, as you were just sharing, is Sheikh Yasser in one of his updates, he said that, you know, before leaving to Turkey with Islamic Relief USA, three young girls from my community, the Valley Ranch Islamic Center, gave me cards of love and support to the people of Turkey and northern Syria. 
Yesterday, we delivered them to the kids in the tent city of Nurdagi, and they were a mixture of Turkish and Syrian kids, a very innocent gathering. They loved it and wrote a response back, uh, letters to the kids in the U.S. Now, I just wanted to mention for a moment, this brother the Sheikh is talking about, who's also from Valley Ranch, is a good friend, uh, Essen Ahmed, originally from Houston, now lives in South Fort Worth near the Sheikh and attends his masjid. I talked to him earlier today. I said, hey, me, Sister Zainab, and Siraj, we're going to be podcasting about everything. And tell me a little bit about, you know, what, what your daughters did and why. And he said, you know, my daughters, Sanya, Sara, and Sophia, they're age four, seven, and nine. These are little girls, uh, not even in middle school. He said, you know, our family was really depressed about everything. And we donated some money and blankets. You know, that, that was easy to do. And alhamdulillah, we did. But we still felt just so sad and depressed. And my daughters go to a public school where people were these days writing Valentine's Day cards and, you know, especially the non-Muslims. And he's like, you know, my daughters don't do that. But that's what the students were doing. So he said, my daughters were like, hey, can we make cards for what's happening in Turkey? It was the idea from the girls, the nine-year-old. And um, originally, Essen thought, okay, maybe we can work with the American and Turkish embassies and get these cards out there, get some letters just saying, you know, we, we're praying for you or we love you guys or, or something. But what happened was amazing. Uh, some of the teachers got involved. Some of the non-Muslim students got involved. And they created several cards and letters and notes with words like thinking of you, prayers for you, we love you, um, we hope you endure, uh, we hope you get strength. And so Sheikh Yasser Burjas took these cards and notes, and then one of the other shuh just took some small things like stickers and balloons. And why I'm sharing this is kids of all ages process things different. I mean, this was being done by four, seven, and nine-year-olds who probably can't fully appreciate or comprehend the earthquake devastation or the deaths. I mean, obviously, they would know something happened. And, you know, even the father, he was like, you know, we gave a little money, we gave some blankets, but we still just felt so sad. And obviously, we're still sad. But he said that these cards were something that we thought could make a difference. And Sheikh Yasser says when they gave these cards and they gave the balloons and stickers to the kids there, even if just temporarily for a few hours, it made them happy, made them laugh. Uh, people were smiling. Those kids then immediately wanted to write letters back to the kids in America who sent them these letters and cards. So just an amazing story. And I think it uh, ties into what Siraj, you said very well, that we need to find ways to speak on the level of our kids or younger people, or maybe people who process things differently, not to avoid the discussions, not to shelter them from it, but, you know, kind of let them know that, look, yes, something bad happened. We can all be part of this process. We can all try to talk about it and, and understand and heal together. So um, I think that's a big part of it as well. I love that story that you shared because mashallah, it's so beautiful. And what it really highlights is the empathy that children are capable of. And obviously make, developmentally, um, they're not necessarily capable of processing like the gravity of the situation. But just by them hearing at least a little bit about it and knowing a little bit about it, it will you know, create that that sense of empathy and umma, which I think is super important. We actually had something similar uh, happen at our madrasa, where uh, my father is the the main teacher there, and he spoke to the kids about what happened, and you know, just reminders that everything is from Allah, and these are reminders to us, and we are one umma. We're supposed to support one another and help one another and make dua for one another. And he didn't even bring up like, oh, you guys should do X, Y, Z, but literally, you know, at the break time that we have. Uh, in class kids actually you know literally pulled out whatever they had in their pockets like there was a little girl who was i think maybe she's six or seven the next day she came with her little uh container like literally a plastic bottle that was filled with coins other kids pulled out you know five dollars twenty dollars that they had in their pockets and were like can you send this to syria or turkey to to help the people who are affected and i think this is so so important for us to do like we need to be able to develop this spiritual and emotional resilience and that empathy because the two are tied high, hand in hand you cannot uh, shield children away from the world and then expect them to be empathetic you have to 
build that sense of connection to the rest of the ummah with these kids. And it is definitely how you're going to talk to the kids is going to depend on their ages and being age appropriate. And of course, even kids of the same age can have different uh, maturity levels. So every parent knows their kids best, but don't hide this from your kids and don't shield them from knowing about hardship and bad things in life. We should always, not just in times of crisis, but outside of that as well, remind them, you know, whatever good that we have, it's a blessing from Allah, but it could potentially be taken away. You know, people get sick all the time. Um, People lose jobs, whatever it might be, not to scare them, um, but just a little bit of awareness and information so that they're, they have this wider, deeper understanding of the realities of life. I mean, even when we're teaching children literally the foundations of Islam, this is where belief in Qadr comes in. Everything that is destined for us, good and bad, it comes from Allah. And that's when we bring in this discussion of you know Allah's wisdom and what that necessitates, as Shaykh Shinawi outlines in his paper. Um, we should be talking about how, as Muslims, times of difficulty and catastrophe are to be viewed through a number of lenses. There's you know growing closer to Allah through the difficulties in life, uh, understanding that life is a test from Allah and that tragedies are a further test from Allah and even like as kids get older and I would say probably from the ages of like 8, 9, 10 onwards definitely by the time they're 12 there should be a concept of you know uh, certain types of tragedies um, or difficulties are actually physical consequences of our own sins like for example in the ayah Allah says what happens uh what comes forth in the world uh whatever misfortune arises amongst uh, in the in the desert and in the in the oceans is what was wrought by the hands of of humankind and it's so important for us to understand this surah al-rum has a uh, powerful ayat about this you know uh, i'm just going to say the translation of the meanings uh, ayah uh, 33 of Surah Al-Rum and when adversity touches the people they call upon their Lord turning in repentance to him and then when he lets them taste mercy from him at once a party of them associate others with their Lord so this is mentioning that when Allah tests the people you know they will turn to Allah they'll turn to him in repentance in times of difficulty and then in times of ease many people will actually turn away and start committing shirk whether that's atheism or paganism or otherwise uh, and they will deny what we have granted them. And then Allah warns us, then enjoy yourselves for you will come to know the reality. Uh, and then it continues as well. You know, Allah continues to say, and when we let the people taste mercy, they rejoice therein. But if evil afflicts them from what their hands have put forth, immediately they despair. Do they not see that Allah extends provision for whom he wills and restricts it? And indeed, in that are signs for a people who believe. These ayat are so powerful. It's so necessary for us to internalize these ayat, to teach them to our kids so that we have a multi-layered understanding of not just the immediate physical world, but an understanding of the spiritual consequences of our actions, uh, you know, the at a metaphysical level. And Allah also says in Surah Al-Shu'ara, whatever affliction befalls you, it's on account of what your hands have wrought. And yet Allah also pardons most of our sins and our faults. Like these are such powerful powerful ayat that balances you know warnings uh of the consequences of our behavior with a reminder that allah is still merciful and allah still loves to forgive and these are opportunities for us even when we've messed up even when we witness the the negative consequences of our own behavior allah is still ready and willing to forgive us all we have to do is turn to him in repentance and these points are very rarely brought up to kids which i find you know, it does them a great disservice. It does a disservice to us as believers and building up the future of our ummah. And then it does a disservice to our children because they are able to 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 process a lot of these higher concepts, but we actually underestimate children's intelligence a lot of the time. Or sometimes we underestimate their resilience as well. Exactly. And so it's really up to us as parents to be able to start laying these foundations from a very young age. And again, age appropriate discussions, you know, the maturity level of your kids. Uh, we actually have on MuslimMatters.org, there is an article by Sheikh Rani Awad that talks about uh, on prophetic wisdom and speaking to children in times of distress. And there's, you know, some uh, outlined advice Maybe some people will disagree in terms of like the age groups given and what you should and shouldn't talk to them about. I personally think that, 
you know, between ages to seven to 12, kids are definitely more capable of hearing about, uh, you know, tragedies and things like that and processing them. And again, all these things that we just talked about in terms of understanding the, the spiritual and metaphys- metaphysical levels uh, of, of what's going on as well as the the immediate worldly consequences, they're definitely more capable of uh, understanding those things. But obviously, you know, everybody's mileage may vary. But these are things that I think are very important for us to keep in mind as parents. Well, I th- I think one of the reasons why um, it, it might be worthwhile just highlighting that 7 to 12 age group, not so much because it's a bad recommendation. I think it's a fine recommendation. Uh, it's conditioned on the idea that, you know, maybe kids are just not exposed to it. But one of the confounding factors here is that everyone has a smartphone now. Most kids have smartphones, 90, 95% of kids have smartphones. And any inf- any information that's in the news, actually, the bigger the bigger issue for me with kids right now is that they're becoming so des- desensitized to it in a way where any sort of tragic news that comes on becomes parodied. It gets turned into a meme, and then kids start making fun of it. So I think it's at that age, if if there are messages going around that they're being exposed to where such things are being made fun of or laughed at in any way, it's important for us as parents to be able to pull them back and say, no, this is a serious issue. And you shouldn't think it's just Call of Duty or Rainbow Six or some other video game where people are getting killed. And it's, you know, there's just numbers and body counts. It's serious and it needs to be highlighted for them, I think, so that they can process it uh, in a way that's appropriate and not just either turn it into a joke or be completely away from it and hidden from it so that they're, you know, basically bubbled off and, and have no sense of uh, handling it whatsoever. Uh, you know, before we go on, I thought it might be interesting just to go over also Sheikh Yasser Khadi's uh, discussion on this. Um, he had also put out a talk about earthquakes and tsunamis a little while ago. I just wanted to summarize just a couple of the points and mention them for our listeners. And he had, I think, eight potential wisdoms. I'm not going to go through all of them, but there are some potential wisdoms that we can go through and just highlight. So um, one of the things that was mentioned here that I thought was interesting that was that calamities do bring about uh, a sense of humility in mankind uh, in the sense that we may start to get a little ahead of ourselves and think that we're really high and mighty. And it's I've, I've seen some messages already that have said that we may start to become complacent. We may start to think that we've achieved so much and we're so great. And I recall one message that said it just took a very short amount of time and everything was leveled just like that. And so it reminds us that we we shouldn't put ourselves too high. We should be grateful and thankful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to what we achieve. But we should also know that that could be taken away from us at any time. And as uh, Zainab said, sometimes uh, a punishment can be, uh, I'm sorry, sometimes a calamity can be a punishment. Um, I think one of the struggles, if, if I'm honest, one of the struggles many people will highlight, and I think it's a valid concern, is, well, what did the kids do? What are the kids doing that they deserve this punishment? Because when we think of punishments, we think of people who are, um, they're adults, they're accountable, they've committed sins, or maybe collectively many adults have done so. And so why are the children being held to account and being tortured? What do you think, Zainab? How would, how would you answer that question? It's actually very simple. Uh, and I think Sheikha Haifa Yunus might have brought this up. I know there was a Sheikha who talked about this specifically, and she said um, a lot of the children who were you know, killed uh, especially those children have a better ending than them remaining as adults because خلاص, they go to Jannah right away. And yes, that's hard for a lot of people to process, but it's one of those, you know, the higher levels of Allah's wisdom and Allah's mercy. As for the kids who are still alive, then those, that might actually be one of the wisdoms that maybe we're not able to fully comprehend that Sheikh Hashanah we discussed. But there is, you know, we can't speak for every single child and who they're going to grow up to be and become. But Honestly, even just from some of the stories that have been shared out of like Syria and Turkey from the survivors, whether they're children or adults, like they've been very, very both sobering and enlightening in the sense that you have stories of, uh, you know, men and women who uh, are more concerned about the fact that they were unable to pray their salah during the time that they were under the rubble. You have stories of children who would say things like, I wasn't scared at all. You know, this little girl or this little boy was with me and talking to me and made me laugh. Or I'm not even hungry or thirsty. Somebody actually brought me water already. And who knows, like for those individuals who experience these literally karamat, this might be setting them up for a lifetime of powerful, powerful iman. Like we don't know. Uh, All these situations are going to be different, but I think it's very 
necessary for us for us to understand as Shikshan we mentioned there are going to be wisdoms that we simply cannot comprehend there is long-term and short-term wisdoms and it might be each person is going to be differently affected and it might be again that the ones who experience this are going to come up with like even more powerful faith than we could ever imagine you, you know sister Zainab I think you um, you know in quoting the Sheikh you know you said something beautiful in the wisdom of um, those children's end is better than a lot of the, the 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 people who are who are still going to be alive and live and and again that may be not sufficient for some people to to process or fathom but you know sometimes people go into other places that and I get it these are human experiences and emotions but for example you know you you hear about this phenomenon of uh, survivor survivor's guilt where you know people are surrounded or or they're seeing other people go through some sort of pain or tragedy or loss. And they start to wonder, well, why not me? You know, uh, how come so many people lost their children or their homes or their their cars or their money, but I'm intact, you know, and, and people start to feel a guilt. And they, they, from an Islamic point of view, maybe they start to utter or say certain things that, you know, we could consider blasphemous or, or displeasing to Allah SWT, maybe questioning, um, you know, his divine will and, and, and his and his qadr and wisdom. But um I, I really appreciate what you said in quoting the Sheikha that sometimes the answer is, you know, an easy is an easier answer or direct answer that we have from the Quran and Sunnah. And again, I understand from the human experience, sometimes people will need more time to process and, and come to their uh, come to a good place. But uh, at the same time, sometimes the answers, you know, we don't we don't need to uh, overcomplicate some of these unfortunate situations and tragedies. I'll, let me play, we'll call it Angel's Advocate. I, I don't like Devil's Advocate. We'll call it Angel's Advocate, just for the fun of it. But let me push back a little bit on your answer um, with a question. So I think what you mentioned was that a lot of inspirational stories come out of it. And I think you also mentioned that the children themselves, inshallah, they, they're going to paradise. They, they've been accepted. However, the original question was, when we talk about this, we say calamities are for people who are being punished. Is there another category of people who will experience calamities and it's a blessing for them? I think that's maybe what I wanted you to get at. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Tragedies can be a punishment for some, but it can also be a way of growing closer to Allah and a blessing uh, for them as well. And I think we have the perfect example in the story of Ayyub, all the calamities that afflicted him. And what did it do other than increase his faith and elevate him uh, as as a believer? And this is definitely something that we should be teaching our kids as well. You know, sometimes you can be doing everything right and you're still going to experience terrible things in life and that does that mean you're automatically a bad person no it can be a reminder to you to you know check yourself to turn to Allah and to, in repentance but it's also an opportunity for you to rise Allah tests those that he loves is another lesson that we get from Surah Yusuf and again ties into the whole laying those foundations and establishing those foundations for our kids if you start teaching them the stories of the prophets from a young age, when these incidents arise, when these occasions occur, it's very easy to say, do you remember when the story of prophet so-and-so and uh, and what happened and what did we learn from that and how does this apply to this situation? It's very, very tied to a holistic tarbiyah of ourselves and our kids. Yeah, and I wanted to also just add that I had once sat with Sheikh Akram al-Nadwi uh, not with him directly in one of his classes. And he was asked a question by one of the people in the audience. And they said, you know, whenever we go through some type of difficulty, whenever some calamity occurs or something bad happens, there are two perspectives we can have. We can either say this is a test from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he loves us. Or we can say that this is some this is on account of some sin that we've done and we're being expiated for it. So how can we tell the difference and I loved his answer because what he said was, you should just assume it's both. So assume that you are being tested because Allah loves you. And also assume that um, that you have some sins that have to be expiated and act accordingly. And don't try to overthink it. And I think with the exception of maybe the children, we, we do have answers for this. Like for some people, this can be a calamity. And I know other people will hear that and say, what do you mean? Like there, there are people who have done wrong and maybe they have, they've done some wrong, but they haven't done that bad of wrong, right? And for other people, it may be a test. And we don't have to actually overthink this to the point where we're the ones making the judgment. We can think about it in general terms. And 
I would say that when we're when we're reflecting on it and saying, oh, well, is it a calamity? It's a reminder for us to simply work on ourselves and to be better. And and I'll, I'll also go back to Sheikh Yasser Khadi's um, wisdoms that he had in his talk, uh, where he said calamities can be looked at as blessings that we didn't appreciate. Um, or they should be looked at, like we should look at the blessings that we have lost and remind ourselves that those blessings are now lost or they've been they've been partially ruined or maybe even totally ruined. And we should remember to be appreciative of the blessings that we do have. Uh, another one that he put out there was uh, the purpose of suffering and tragedy is to elicit mercy from the rest of us. So again, when tragedy does occur to other people, how are we reacting to it? That's a test for us. And do we act with mercy or do we act with desensitization as happens now in our society? Uh, do we act with care? I think it's uh, it, it, that's another valid point. What do you think, Ertza? Yeah, absolutely. I think when some of this happens, it's just, you know, we know um, the other hadith and narrations about, you know, the Ummah being like one body. And, and sometimes those sort of things don't, um, in a day-to-day, they can sometimes be forgotten because, you know, yes, you, you have some regions that are always in, uh, unfortunately, or have long, long lasting been in turmoil or difficult situations. You come to think of Palestine or the brothers and sisters, the, the Ruhungia, the uh, the Uyghurs, uh, etc. But this sort of devastation, and again, uh, maybe those of us sitting in the West or sitting in some countries is a very comfortable time. It's just a normal February. It's just a normal, you know, we're dealing with, uh, okay, you know, our jobs or uh, things in our community, but then something like this happens. It is a huge trial, but one of the unintended um, results of it is it does elicit that mercy, that sympathy, that love. Um, and I'm telling you, I've seen, um, you know, when we were doing the prep for the show and I was, I was uh, preparing with Sister Zan, I was telling her that everybody I know, whether it's people who are in the masjid every day or they they frequent the masjid or maybe people, and, and all of us can improve our our. Uh, practice or our dean, but maybe people who, quote unquote, we might call less practicing, everybody's been all in about Turkey, about Syria. That's all people have been thinking about, talking about. I know people already talking about, yeah, one brother was telling me, he's like, you know, for 20 years, I give my zakat and most of my sadaqah in Ramadan, it's my thing. It's what I do. But he's like, not this year. He's like, I'm, I'm going to do it early and I'm going to tell other people to do it early. And we have to um, you know, help Turkey, help Syria. We have to, you know, and, and then above all, one thing we all forget, right? There is the money, there is the blankets, there is all this stuff, but it's the dua. I, I, I've seen so many people just making dua and prayers and, and really thinking about the brothers and sisters and children there and making lots and lots of dua that some goodness, some strength is going to come from this. So honestly, it just really uh, makes you feel that sense of one ummah and, and love for your ummah. Because let's be honest, most of us don't know any of these people that passed away. We don't know the people who lost their homes. Uh, we don't know any of their names, but still we're grieving. We all have like this pain in our chest. We have this sadness. We think about it at night before we're going to sleep. We think about it in the morning, you know, e- e- you know, even if I'm watching a I see a basketball game on or I see something else on, I'm not really having fun because I'm thinking about what just happened in Turkey and Syria. So I, I think the Sheikh hit it on the dot. And I, I, I think you're absolutely right that this definitely elicits, elicits those feelings from us. I love that you brought up, you know, we're all making dua and giving donations. And I think it's very important for us all to end this discussion on a note of being proactive. What can we do? Those of us who are you know, sitting, alhamdulillah, comfortably in our homes. Maybe we can't travel to Turkey and Syria to help directly with our own hands. But what can we do to help those in need? No, great question, Sister Zainab. And we know as of now, uh, the time that we are recording this podcast, the death toll in Turkey is right at about 41,000. And in Syria, it's approaching 6,000. These numbers are not final. These numbers continue to uh, rise every day. Um we do want to share a couple of well-known, reputable, well-reviewed um, charities. This is not to say that there are not other charities in your localities. Some people know brothers and sisters that are personally traveling out there to do work. Uh, some people may live in a town where you have a Turkish consulate. We fully realize that. But there's three charities I'd like to share, and I will also provide the, the websites for them. Uh, and this is in no specific order. But you have Islamic Relief USA. Uh, and their website is irusa.org. That's irusa.org. Our very own Sheikh Yasser Berjas, 
Sheikh Omar Suleiman and many others have been um, involved working with them for years. The second of these is ICNA Relief. ICNA is the Islamic Circle of North America, very active in Canada and the U.S. for years, more than 40 years. Uh, they, they have also been extremely active in raising money and items and have teams that are uh, in touch in Turkey and Syria. And the third, which is an amazing group, uh, the White Helmets, a well-respected civilians group, mostly run on volunteers. This is the whitehelmets.org. The White Helmets, W-H-I-T-E-H-E-L-M-E-T-S dot org. And Syria in all of this has been a little bit forgotten, maybe because the death toll is less. But let us all remember that Syria was already dealing with a long-lasting um, kind of devastation from internal strife and violence and some of the political turmoils, which we don't we don't have the time to, to discuss on this show, and now being hit with the, the earthquake devastation. So ICNA Relief, Islamic Relief USA, and White Helmets, please check them out. And brothers and sisters, anything you can give, you know, sometimes people think, okay, you know what, what's the difference going to make in $5, $10? Anything you can give, give it because we don't know how long and how much uh, you know people are going to need support. At this time, uh, everything can help, and we have so many first-hand accounts about that. So please, inshallah, consider donating what you can and get the message out to your friends and family to donate and share whatever you're able to do. Jazakallah khairan. Back to you, Sister Zanam. I think that's a perfect note to end on. Jazakallah khair for tuning to this discussion. And of course, uh, before I continue as well, dua. Dua is the most powerful weapon of the believer. It does not take us more than a few minutes of our time to sincerely you know, turn to Allah and ask Allah to grant aid to those in need and to even to strengthen ourselves and our iman in this time, uh, whether we're dealing with survivor's guilt or grappling with uh, spiritual difficulties Dua is one of the most powerful issues uh, or one of the most powerful tools that we have uh, in dealing with this issue. And of course, if we are able to stand up and pray Qiyam, even better. And the donations are extremely important. Sadaqah is an ongoing uh, blessing for us because not only is it helping those in need, but it is a shield for us as well. It's going to be a shield for us on the Day of Judgment. It is a way of uh, expiating our own sins and protecting us from difficulty as well. So, Again, thank you so much for all of your time uh, in this discussion. And I'll just add one more point uh, to all the other points that both Zainab and Ertsa mentioned. If any of you are dealing with doubts, you're scared, you're confused, and you don't know who to turn to, or you don't know how to process this yourself, turn to someone, turn to a friend, turn to your family, turn to an imam, uh, turn to a counselor, turn to someone, get help, and get answers. Sometimes you just need to process it by talking to other people. Don't keep it in yourself. Don't leave it within and let it fester. Get it out um, and get some get somebody to give you some good guidance and advice. And inshallah, you'll be able to understand it better, process it better, and it, and you don't, you don't have to go through it alone. And that's all I have to add. Zakhnakhar. We pray that Allah strengthens all of our hearts and our faith, that he increases us in generosity towards those in need and draws us all closer to him in these times of difficulty. I mean, Jazakallah khair, Bosraj and Brother Itaza for taking the time to have this discussion. And we pray that it benefits all of our listeners today. Jazakallah khair, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Hey everyone, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and follow us online on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram on our handle, Muslim Matters. And check out our site daily at muslimmatters.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next one, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.